you got the pink memo. Was there any other choice for today? I don't know. I don't think so. No. Then this is Wendy. I know Wendy. <laughs> and there's Kevin. I know Kevin. And can I can I can I bring up just the slide? Well, your picture will go away, but yes. Okay. Your picture will be reduced. I think. And this is because uh, select Mundo. Uh, yeah, just. Yeah, just get sure. there. And that's that. Oh. I don't know how to make that bigger. There you go. It's there. There you go. And here we are. This is a picture off my wall. That's 31 years ago. That was taken in 1991. It's 31 years ago. Mm. How about that? I'm gonna and George's glasses in that picture are so in style right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You wait long enough and it comes back in style. Now what do I do? Uh, hit stop share. Stop share. Yes. Do you have any idea what I do with that, Kevin? Oh, goody. Danny's here. Hi, Danielle. So, um, yeah. So, one week and two days ago you wouldn't maybe we should start at the beginning george started having atrial fib maybe four or five years ago and his reaction was oh i was working out in the yard and i just got lightheaded so i had to lay down on the ground for about an hour and then i felt better and i got up and i of course, being the dutiful spouse said, you think you might want to do something about that? No, it's fine now. <laughs> okay, fine. So I just looked at the calendar at his house and we saw the cardiologist the morning of November 23rd. And he said, yeah, you've got a little atrial fib, but it's nothing to worry about. That night, November 23rd of 21, he was walking down the stairs at my house. And you have to understand that George and I stayed together for 31 years because we always lived in separate houses. <laughs> that was the easiest way to do that. And he's coming down the stairs and he passed out at the sixth stair up, fainted up against the left-hand wall. That bounced him down and turned him to the right. And the next thing that impacted was his head, the right side of his head um, on the tile floor. And that was November 23rd. So he's in the hospital and he was on Xeralto for the DVT that he had. So he had a three millimeter subdural hemorrhage at the temporal frontal junction and a two millimeter. And because I called like texted the five people I knew that do, do treatment at a distance with FSM. It's like, you guys just treat for hemorrhage and brain injury and see. So on Zeralto, which is a blood thinner, the hemorrhages stayed three millimeters and two millimeters. And he did pretty good for like three or four weeks. And then, and so then we had a pacemaker put in and then we had an ablation 
because the the Holter monitor, the digit, digital gadget, his lowest pulse was 33 and his highest pulse was 250. That's a good face. So we thought we'd get a bit of a bounce and it was just it was just his time to go. His brain just wasn't working and his, that meant his body didn't work real well. So um, the, uh, yeah, so my, our, we'd written everything up in 2018. So everything was, so he was to stay at home. That was, I follow orders. Unlike some people might think that I'm not so good at, when they're in writing. Um, oh, we have to turn that light on. When they're in writing, I do follow him. So he stayed at home and um, I took care of him and Adam took care of him. My son took care of him for December and that's better. And then I had to go to Cleveland. So his daughter came up the weekend I went to San Francisco, but I had to go to Cleveland January 19th and I had nobody for the day shift because um, these folks actually, you know, work they run pdi and uh so my sister drove up on the 17th did a covid test on the 18th rolled in here on the 19th now she's 72 she has cervical trauma fibro she has lyme she takes naps in the afternoon takes three hours to wake up in the morning and all of a sudden she is doing 12 hour shifts from nine to nine, seven days a week until after the advanced. And then Adam goes from having a fairly straightforward brain injury recovery life to working nine at night till nine in the morning, taking care of George. And then, so then he wouldn't die when I was here. It was time he'd been fighting it off for a week and a half. And it's like, come on, it's time to go now. It's like, no. So I got on a plane to go to Orlando at 10 minutes to two. And at three o'clock, there's, there's this thing we used to do. I imagine you could do it with anybody that you love really a lot. Is called heart to heart. You can just make a connection between your heart center and somebody else's heart center. And we could always do that. And there was this, it was like ET phone home. It's like my heart center just sort of lit up like a thousand kilowatt light bulb at three o'clock. And I went, that's George. That only George could do that. George couldn't do that if he was alive. I think George just, I wonder, hmm. So I get off the plane and I get the text from my sister saying George passed at 3.05. He wouldn't die when I was here. And he said goodbye on his way out. And so that's it. And he's, what, the watch? Oh, special George Douglas edition. I love it on your watch. Um, so he, yeah, this, I mean, how it all started was us partnering in 1991, him getting me through chiropractic college, then moving in to the clinic with me in 1995. And when he moved his desk, that's when he found the list of frequencies. 
And so I'm sitting there working on somebody with my thumbs and getting rid of trigger points. This was late 94. And um, she came in with her pain at like a three. She had trigger points in her gastroc. She was a runner. I'm sitting there mashing on her gastroc with my thumbs and her pain goes from a three to like a six or a seven. And because George had been one of the teachers at school, I get on the phone and call him and I said, what did I just do? It's like help her pain. What do I do? <laughs> Fix it. And he said, put, you've got a microcurrent there. Put 18. This is the old blue box. 18 hertz on channel A and 62 hertz on channel B. It's like, what's that for? <laughs> and he said, well, I'll tell you if it works. And I'm like, okay, fine. So I did that. He set it up. So they crossed an 18 and 62 and her pain went from a six or a seven back down to a zero. And it's like, I said, goodbye. And then I called him back and said, what did I just do? And he said, those are the frequencies to stop hemorrhage. Frequencies? Yeah, from the list. What list? The list from Harry. I know Harry. What list from Harry? Oh, well, I'll tell you about it later. So then we started using frequencies when we got into the clinic in 94, 95, we started treating patients on Tuesdays and Thursdays, which were supposed to be my day off. I only worked three days a week. I was a single mom. So we started working on patients Tuesdays and Thursdays, and he would sit at the counter. He did a form of dowsing that used a stick plate. And if it's slippery, that's a no. When you get a stick, and it feels kind of, it really does stick because I worked with it. But when I didn't know what I was doing, I just set something up and slippery, slippery, slippery. And I turned the little knob and all of a sudden it was like somebody put orange juice on the plate. It was like stick. No fooling. <laughs> so um, he came into the clinic and he would stand at the counter and working the way that Harry Van Gelder worked, because he'd worked with Harry in 1983 for three months when he was in chiropractic college. And so he, um, he taught me how to think about how frequencies work and how pathologies combine with tissues to do certain things. And then I took it to a whole new level just by being having <laughs> mileage just by having bodies to work on and but that basic training that we did in the first two years was crucial so he he and I don't have any children we've been together 31 years and we don't have any kids but we have 4,000 children in 23 <laughs> countries he has a daughter, Arwen, that's been very involved. She, she comes up on weekends and visits and keeps him company. And he has a son that he hasn't seen in, or talked to in 25 years, as far as I know. So they're, they just weren't compatible or something. Don't know the history. Um, yeah, and then he came out of retirement when we bought, my dad bought Precision Microcurrent. And he was the president of Precision Microcurrent. And before he died, he set it up that we 
I obviously can't be the president of Precision Microcurrent like for really more than about three days. So we already have a new president of Precision Microcurrent. Um, at least we will have as soon as we get the paperwork done. He was our banker. He's a good friend. And he understands the PDI culture and what we do has always done. So I think that's it. We kept him at home. Um, we had eventually four people, my sister and Adam uh, did four days on. And then we finally, thanks to Wendy Bauer and her connections in home health, adult care, had relief help for them three days a week. So that saved everybody's life. And I wasn't allowed. He didn't like it if I was the one that had to do personal care. So my job was to lay down next to him at night and tell him the story of my day and who we helped and what we did. And um, the, um, I promised you I'd try and keep it together. I'm not sure if I can do that for this one. Um, one night, one day when I had to go to the clinic, I said, um, I, I have to go. And this is back when he could talk. It was about four or five weeks ago. And he said, um, he said, you do what you need to do. He's always been like that. I describe him as the tail on my kite because I fly around and then <laughs> there's this, you know, there's this anchor to reality. And um, yeah, so I said, I, he said, you do what you have to do. So I came home that night and told him what I'd done that day. It was a lady with phantom limb pain from a cut nerve in her armpit. And I treated inflammation in the nerve and increased secretions in the nerve, didn't do anything. And it's like, they cut the nerve. It couldn't be that easy. And it was phantom limb pain. It would run 40 and 89. And he turned and speech because the temporal lobe, you don't know ever know what the temporal lobe does until it doesn't do it. So speech clarity was something that came and went. Clear as a bell, he said, I'm so proud of you. So that's what I get to take with me. Yeah, that was a really rotten <laughs> thing to do to you, huh? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that being said, um, he stops by every now and then. I get a big hug. And then starting about three days ago, you and I texted about this today. Starting about three days ago, I'd be sitting there. Usually it's at dinner or yesterday I was in a pub and waiting. I took myself to the movies <laughs> and vegetarian pizza. It was great. Gluten-free crust. <laughs> and all of a sudden there's this big hug from George. Like when we first got together, I'm talking a really long time. Is that okay? That's, this is what this is all about. <laughs> oh, okay. So when we first got together, Ben and I, the kid's dad and I were just getting divorced. And even when the divorce is a really good idea, you're, it's difficult. And um, so George and I were working in the student clinic together, not together, together, but we were both working there. I was teaching GYN exams. He was 
uh, assistant clinic director. And I grabbed him one day in the hallway and I dragged him into the into a treatment room. And I said, I just need a hug. I feel like a mirror that's got, you know, when they get crazed, they just all cracks in them. I, I just was fractured. And he just, now he was six <laughs> foot tall, five foot 11. So I came up to just at his collarbone, right? So he wraps his arms around me and just stands there. Honest to God, we all thought George was gay. He was so neutral and so Buddhist and so George. He puts his arms around me and it's like safe, neutral, and inside of five to 10 minutes, all the little cracks in the mirror were gone. I was completely calm and centered. And we separated the hug and I said, how did you do that? And he said, I have help. Ah. And I went, okay. And then it was a couple of months <laughs> after that, that we went to the healing group. And then I found out what he meant by the help he had. So, um, yeah. And he came over all the time. It was my daughter in 1991, the end of 91. I said, would you please just move in? <laughs> and he said, well, your mom hasn't asked me yet. And your dad's still living in the basement. <laughs> and it's like, well, then it's just, she was what, 13, 14, you know, the mouth. So yeah. <laughs> that's, that's how he came to move in in 1992. Right. And then the rest of the story is in, is in the book. Yeah. And the, I, I don't know if, yeah, I'll tell you. The next book is going to have the George and David Simons story because that's just a whole. That could be a whole book, actually. It's, it's a <laughs> chapter that starts. If you don't like unconventional love stories, you really shouldn't read this, this chapter. <laughs> just just skip to the next one. It'll be fine. Yeah. So that's it. He made, he came, he had retired. So when he and I split up, he moved to a, this lovely farm down in McMinnville. He was just puttering in the orchard and mowing the lawns and taking care of Phoebe's chickens and sheep and all that stuff. And, um, and then I called him and I said, Glenn Smith is either going to sell Precision Micro to us or he's going to shut it down. He said, if there's no blue box, there's no FSM. I said, yep. And you're the only one that's going to learn how to build them. And you could just see him looking around his nice, quiet <laughs> farmhouse in the orchard <laughs> and going, okay, FSM is that important. I'll do this. So he moved to Claremont, California rented a little apartment, didn't even buy a mattress. He used a blow up mattress on the floor, lived there for three months, learned how to build the blue boxes. 
And then he and my dad loaded 41,000 pounds worth of stuff. They moved a wave solder machine that we ended up selling for scrap metal. But anyway, they moved all of Precision Micro up to Newburgh because it was halfway between McMinnville where he lived and Portland where I lived. And we didn't get back together. We'd split up in 2000 until I had a stent in 2004. Now by then he'd already been running Precision Micro and building machines for four years. And I had a 98% blockage of the LED. And um, um, that's also in the book. And then I had a stent and then 10 o'clock at night, I called him because I got up to go to the bathroom and had chest pain. And I said, I have to go home tomorrow. I'm scared to be alone. He said, you won't be alone. I'll be there. I hadn't seen this guy in four years. We talked every night on the phone, but I didn't, I'll be there. It's like, okay. So that's how we got back together was because I needed him. So George demonstrated love by doing things. So all of the letters and the emails and the cards talked about that we've gotten since he was ill, um, talked about what George did for people. He showed his love by doing things. So the people that have had the reason that when you trade in your completely useless blue box with no value whatsoever, you get $2,500 of credit towards precision care. That's George. He picked that number and said, yeah, that's okay. That's good. So he did things. So that's what he did was give, give up his, and he took care of me through that. Then I had open heart surgery seven years later when the stent collapsed. I wake up from open heart surgery. And after I get out of ICU, you're still dope to the gills. You, I wake up in my room and there's George sitting next to the bed and my hand is, is through the bars of the bed and he's got his hand around my fingers. And he's just holding my hand. And then you pass out because the fentanyl rides up. <laughs> I wake up, I wake up two hours later, there's George reading a book, holding my hand and then took care of me through that. He's upstairs. I'm down in the living room in a hospital bed. So there's open heart surgery 2007, right hip 2008, left hip 2009. And the, and the threat in 2008 was I had this big brass bell with Ganesh on it, right? So we are a Buddhist Zen family or he is. And so we had this heavy brass bell. He said, you ring that bell. And he's upstairs. I don't want to wake you up. If I find out you got out of bed without waking me up, I'm out of here. <laughs> oh, and you go through all the things you need when your right hip can't be bent. And it's like, okay, I, yes, sir. So <laughs> We went through that. And then my next surgery, first thing I remember after my next surgery in 2011 was George hooking up sticky pads 
while I was in PACU, setting up the post-op protocol for the neck and the facets. And then in 2013, when I broke my shoulder, he came out to the barn and picked me up. We did this. He stopped at the house. We picked up oxycodone. We went to the ER and he just, he's just waiting in the waiting room. And then, I mean, that's who George was. He, we didn't do, everybody, what do we, what do we get for Christmas? Car wash <laughs> Car wash tickets. That was, that was Christmas. He's the most frugal person I know. Didn't do Valentine's Day. I think the first year we're together, I might've gotten a card, but that was it. And he absolutely hated it. He, he had to train me, took him 10 years to train me not to celebrate his birthday. Eventually I had trouble remembering when it was. He said, oh good, finally I've got you trained. It's like it took a while. And then um, car wash tickets at Christmas, no holidays. But when we lived in Portland, I had a vegetable garden that when I got into practice, I didn't have time to take care of. Actually, when I was in school, I didn't have time to take care of. So broccoli and asparagus and uh, artichokes, when they go to flower, are really beautiful, but they're not very edible. So he, he found out that I like dahlias. So we went dahlia shopping in the fall. And in the spring, the man had a green thumb. So I have a picture of him six feet tall, standing in front of six dahlia bushes that are nine feet tall. Wow. Has anybody there seen a dahlia <laughs> bush that's nine feet tall no. with dinner plate dahlias that big in six different colors? <laughs> it was amazing. So I don't know. There's just too many George stories. Well, right. Downstairs. So when he moved in, after he hurt his head, he brought all of his equipment with him. Right. And he's got hundreds of pictures of people that he treats, oh. you know, remotely through the pictures. Violin. And there's just tons of pictures down there. <laughs> yes, a huge stack. And that's why Kevin's office moved from my <laughs> dining room out to Trapdale because there's this stack of pictures this big. George had, if anybody's kid had a problem or anybody had a problem, he'd do. We never use the R word, but now that he's passed away, I can use the radionics word. He treats people at a distance and his system was an FSM. So he'd treat everybody um, <laughs> and their kids and my dog and the dog. <laughs> yeah. I think the second time I met George, he asked me for my picture. Mm -hmm. I kind of. <laughs> Uh, sure. And how about your kids and your husband too, maybe? <laughs> okay. Why? Why is it that you want those yeah. pictures? <laughs> That's fine, but. That's a long story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, and then there's the peaches. 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 So summertime. Yeah, we're going to do a field trip. Okay, here. There you go. We're going to do a field trip to McMinnville. Because that's where it is, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a peach place. Um, here, you hold this. And <laughs> there you go. 
there's a peach plate farm down there where they have the most delicious peaches and they're picked ripe in the morning and he'd call and reserve four <laughs> boxes right about yeah four boxes and he'd bring them to the office and and each peach is wrapped in tissue paper on this flat right now being george just so you guys know i've been out to his house since he's been ill but he saved the boxes that the peaches came from because he couldn't throw them away because he had to take them back to the farm so they could reuse them right so he brings the peaches in and everybody got half a box each wrapped in tissue paper <laughs> and you didn't have to wait for them to ripen so there's peach juice all over everybody's face and running down their arms and then then since everybody enjoyed them so much the next week it's there was another it's 90 minutes to drive to McMinnville almost (laughs) two hours from his house right so at the we had what maybe four weeks of peaches and that's all we ate (laughs) and Danny would make jam so that's Danielle so Danny (laughs) would make jam I they never made it to the fridge I don't think mine didn't either (laughs) yeah it's like I I'd eat two of them before he got out the door yeah yeah so um yeah George showed his love by doing things for people so it's a good role model and it's so when I say to everybody at the end of the seminar do good things that's that's what is so that picture of him and me that that's how it all started that's how it all started his his personality his value system is the foundation for fsm and it started with harry who was a great deal crankier than george (laughs) but he was an 87 year old dutchman who I don't think had ever been wrong in his life. You'll hear from Leaf here in a bit. He knew the Van Gelder family. And um, so that's that's the foundation is do good things and do it with integrity. The man never told a lie in his life. There were things he wouldn't tell me because he knew (laughs) I would object. So he was diplomatic (laughs) sort of just he's a GABA guy hates conflict so you don't need to know that because it would upset you so that's okay (laughs) yeah anything I left out I'm sure Linda's asking if you can share the picture one more time say again Linda's asking if you can share the picture one more time oh share the picture one more time okay go ahead and click on on the uh, Q&A too this one all right so that's the picture. George was, this was 1990, I graduated, so it was 1992. George Douglas hated having his picture taken. And I had a patient who only worked in black and white. So this was taken on the grounds of Reed College. And we sat in front of the trees and um, that's a, a pink silk blouse. And I still have this vest 
um, almost confit into it. And he wore polo shirts all the time, except in the junior clinic when he had to wear a white shirt with a tie. And he has a bachelor's in physics from Reed. So he was in the Navy and did junior college. And I think went in the Navy and then came out and got his bachelor's in physics from Reed and then went to work for Tektronics building um, uh, oscilloscopes back in the day. So that's, that's how it all, that's how it all started was George <laughs> started calling me every night at seven o'clock hmm. as soon as he got back to his apartment because he and his girlfriend had just split up and Ben and I had just split up. And um, it's like, really, you guys? And then my phone started ringing at seven o'clock at night. So he, um, he, I'd had a skiing injury where I wrecked my shoulder and we'd done all the muscle work and done all the everything. And I still couldn't get it past maybe 45 degrees. I could not do this. Right. And he had a precision micro. This has too much. I'll put, I'll put it back on the picture in a second. So he had a precision micro that had um, probes. And there are six acupuncture meridians that cross the shoulder. Now I don't teach this anymore. And I've got the book and I've got to make copies of it to put in the clinic and the training center because it ends up being important. And so we put the cotton tip probe on one end of the meridian and the other end of the meridian, twiddled it for six seconds and nothing happened. It's like, ah, nope. And then he put pericardium seven and pericardium one, which is in the chest wall and twiddled it for six seconds and the range of motion went like completely normal. And it's like, how'd you do that? And he said, oh, let's see what else works. So he went across the other five and it's like, nope, nope, nope. He goes back to this one, twiddles it for 12 seconds. Range of motion went to normal and stayed normal forever. And that was Harry. So all of the systems, that's why FSM is so integrated with everything. I'm, I'm bad. George did all the acupuncture work in the clinic with just the cotton probes because I don't know anything about it, still don't. But um, yeah, so... That's, oh, I forgot to uh, turn on your chat. There you go. I'll turn it on. So that's how it started. That was George when he was, he was 58. <laughs> and he said, so how old are you? I said, 40, 45. And he said, oh, thank God. I thought you were 35 and I was a cradle robber. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and then Q&A is over here. Show the picture again, Linda Avery, there you go. And then the chat, is that the same thing? No. George looked like a hunk. Yeah, I used to tell him he, that's like, you are so cute. He said, cute doesn't cover it. And I said, no, but it saves your ass more times. And, <laughs> so that's George stories. And that's probably just the tip of the iceberg of the George stories. Oh, tip of the iceberg, right? It's like we packed up, uh, 
He's a GABA guy. He doesn't like change. He doesn't <laughs> like conflict. And that's like, yes. When we got a new printer. Oh, it took almost a year for him to, to, to realize how to, to press the buttons because it changed the different format. Copying and pasting was very oh, fun okay. for him. Um, that's and sarcastic. He yeah. needed new computers. No. Okay. Oh, no, he is the only person on the planet <laughs> that has computers that run on DOS. <laughs> he learned computer DOS. Right. The 70s, 80s. He still used floppy disks. He still used floppy disks. <laughs> he still used Windows 98 and was about to learn PowerPoint so he could put <laughs> the numerical sequences on people's photographs on PowerPoint. We never quite got there before he fell down the stairs. So, um, and uh, yeah, it, he was quite handsome in my world, just cute. Thad has a um, comment, honoring George Douglas, I wanna credit him with the pivotal insight that makes FSM possible. The fact that microcurrent signals generated at a pulse per second rate yields effects identified with the vibrational rates of instruments following, wasn't Albert Abrams. Abrams had that one sequence but it was a radioclast and um, there were, the frequencies were actually from a Ruth Drown machine, I think. But Thad probably knows more than anybody because he has a collection of all this old stuff. <laughs> the Abrams vibrational rates were called in ohm, calibrated in ohms resistance, not cycles per second. He's examined antiqued instruments to be sure of this. There is no direct electronic relation between ohms resistance and cycles per second frequency. It took Dr. Douglas unique insight to contemplate the leap into frequencies as now ordinarily measured and to dare suggest the n equals one double blind experiment that Dr. Carroll often retells about the client whose calf pain was halted by stop bleeding. I hope to explain the background behind this statement at next year's symposium, but I feel it's right to honor Dr. Douglas with one of my main conclusions ahead of that time. And it's, and George got it from Harry. So the reason George went to chiropractic college was so that he would have a license that allowed him to use Harry's oh. system on patients. The whole reason he spent four years in chiropractic college, he never wanted to be in practice. He literally could never bring himself to charge a patient for treatment. <laughs> he never had a su successful financial practice, but he loved taking care of people. Like he had clients all over the world, like Japan, Canada, South America, and he treated them all at a distance using these, not our frequencies so much, but he learned to use FSM as I took the list. And then he found, he developed, he had his own fairly unique way of navigating that system. So yeah, that's right. And it started with Harry actually. Conditioned tissue was the way his machine was set up. And 
Um, I just did a presentation for the Mag Healy people because the Germans that make the Healy put two Healy's together inside a pulse DMF device that's coming out, I think in July. And the two Healy's, I have 20, gave them 25 and we added two more. We'll see if they can get 27 onto it without having to change the regulatory version. And the, the combination of tissue and condition, I just had to do this presentation talking about how it all started with it all started with George and not only not only the concept of resonance and electromagnetic bonds that's mine but the real concept is that your your soul creates or manifests a body in this physical plane for a period of time. So he was basically a Buddhist. Reincarnation was just, hello, why would you waste a soul on one body? So you came to learn things. And so your soul manifests itself in its body to learn things. And then the concept is when you walk in your house and you, you take off your coat, are you a different person? No, you're the same person. You just don't have your coat on. So George just wanted to be dead for as long as I've known him. Like he wanted to, and he just wanted to, to make that he His whole plan was to go upstairs, take a nap and not wake up just like his grandmother. Well, after about like this, this journey of his lasted five and a half months. And after three, two, three months, it was like, come on, it's be your grandmother. And then it occurred to me, our whole, in his view, a whole purpose on this plane is to learn lessons. Well, George spent his whole life taking care of other people and was absolutely averse to letting other people take care of him. And it's like, well, all right, you got five and a half months to learn to let other people take care of you because you really don't have any choice. Then I was more at peace with his physical situation at the end. Couldn't feed himself. I mean, it was, there was that. And, um, but it was okay. Cause it was a lesson he needed to learn. There's Leaf. I knew you show up. Like the whole Orcus clan is engaged. We are here to experience. And that's, it's his, life view is how it is that I can make sense of the chronic pain patients we see. So people don't find me by mistake, don't find us by mistake. And when every time you have an injury or condition or whatever, 
it teaches you something, compassion, strength, care, something. And the only way I can keep my sanity doing this is when you've learned what you need to learn, you find a solution. And if you're lucky, you get to get rid of the condition and keep the wisdom, right? You learn compassion. Oh yeah. When you talk to patients, they've never framed it this way. You learn compassion. You learn the world is not going to come to the end if you don't sweep the kitchen floor or do the dishes every day. You learn lots of stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. What do you guys have to say? Wendy Bauer was, is the mouthpiece because... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> George was humble. Yeah. Like more so than anyone I've ever encountered in my life. He was the president of our company, but he would come in on a daily basis and take out our recycling, even yeah. though we're fully capable. Um, and it was just his way of showing gratitude. Um, Doing things. Little, little kindness in everything they did. And this is why I don't like to speak because I can't talk. <laughs> Thanks, Danielle. Uh, George was immense in his kindness. I, I joked with him one time if he would start a finishing school for men or husbands <laughs> or spouses, whoever needs it, because he just does the tiniest things that you wouldn't think when Carol would get ready to go places, he would bring her luggage from the top yeah. stairs down to the bottom. And it was just his natural response to just do the small things that you can do for yourself. But he's just very incredibly thoughtful. I think I had like a sunburn or something and he came, um, noticed it, left, went to the, a location store and came back with a uh, burnt ointment. <laughs> and he's like, do you mind if I put this on you? <laughs> um, Always introducing us to different little homeopathic. homeopathic remedies. Star of Bethlehem was one of his top and recommendations. He was just, it was very humbling to get to know George on a personal level. My signature Emmy is rock water, taking yeah. things too seriously. That was always. Yeah. We would come in in the morning and he would have printouts and printouts for, I mean, pages and pages of just different articles for Danielle and I to read. And he would make a couple copies and then he would show us another article and, oh, I'll print this one out for you. And we just had stacks and stacks oh. of articles. I have an entire stack of all the George notes. Yeah. And I don't normally save little things, but he's every note that he's ever written to me, just saying thank you for doing something on the computer. And this is, is it silver? Silver. Yeah, it's a silver coin. He gave each one of the staff. Um, so in their um, Harry's and the healing groups, view of things, you can charge um, pure silver with a frequency. So he would put it in a, in a well that would ex, uh, amplify a frequency and um, uh, 
And this silver coin, he wrote on the outside to Kevin Green, and this one is to restore joy. And what is that? Sorry, Sorry to have taken so long. So long. <laughs> Said, yeah, it's now Danielle and Wendy saw George carry my suitcases down the stairs. What they didn't see was that in the 15, 15 years, uh, 2004, we got back together. So 18 years, 17 years, I never packed a suitcase by myself. He would lift the suitcases up in the bed. He'd pack the normal stuff. I'd get my hanging clothes out. He'd put, he'd, he'd, and then when I would come home, I'd usually be fried. And he'd unpack, in 17 years, I've never unpacked a suitcase. It's, and he'd change the sheets on our bed before I got home. So we'd have clean sheets. I mean, it was, and he took the recycling out. And every mm -hmm. week he bitched about the, complained, <laughs> complained about the fact that people didn't separate the glass from the cardboard. And why didn't they do it right? And so he would go into the recycling big <laughs> container and take everything out, separate it, cut down the boxes properly so they were done right. And yeah. Drive it to the recycling. And, yeah. and then put it back in the recycling bin. And then because we get so many boxes, mm -hmm. he would load in the back of his car all the cardboard boxes and take them to the recycling center on the way back to his house in Battleground. <laughs> yeah, I know that everybody still have theirs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's not something you get rid of. No. Yeah. Mm. That's, yeah. I, somebody asked me, it's like everybody, not just somebody, but everybody, the, the emails and the texts and the, the comments about how George um, uh, affected their lives and asked, they all asked me how I'm doing. And it's like, well, on the outside, I'm doing the same stuff. I go to Orlando, I make slides, I give presentations, I meet and greet people. So the outside is doing the same stuff. The inside, it's like I'm, do you know what your computer's like when you're downloading a new operating system? That's what it's like on the inside. It's like, I'm um, like on two second satellite delay. So I have to be really careful when I drive. Sleeping is an interesting experience. That's, <laughs> Go ahead. The first time George ever, he, he was always very, um, very mindful, respectful, and courteous of getting permission to do radionics. And the first time he asked me, and I'd forgotten he'd asked me because it was a few days prior to this, I'm not going to tell you when, um, but if with your permission, yeah. can I have your, your picture um, <laughs> to just, you know, check on you? Know, it's George, sure, whatever, absolutely no problem. I remember the first time he didn't, I didn't know he was working on me, but I couldn't sleep. 
I tossed and turned. I maybe got about an hour of sleep through the night. And when I got out of bed, I felt phenomenal. I was quite literally, and I've never whistled Dixie a day in my life. I was whistling Dixie <laughs> through the front door, sitting at my desk, completely like just upbeat, chirpy. And that was the first, George goes, how are you feeling today? It's like, I hardly slept, but I feel fantastic. And he's like, oh, that's interesting. And that was his favorite. That's interesting. Yeah. That was the first time he ever worked and just kind of adjusted levels that I apparently needed adjusting. And that is, that's, that's George's way of just kind of, giving I, back. yeah, giving back and just taking care of those around him because it was always paying it forward. It was Absolutely. always self-enlightened interest. And he would never take credit. So it's <laughs> not like, oh, that's interesting because I worked on you for six hours last night yeah. instead of going to bed. <laughs> he never he never said it that way. Yeah. He always said, oh, that's good. Yeah. That's, that's nice. <laughs> and I could always tell when he'd been working on me because he'd ask, how's your, how's your arm feeling? <laughs> oh, it's better. Were you working on me? Oh, most of yesterday. Okay. So he did that. And it's, and Leaf is saying Harry and his mother, his sister started therapeutic touch. So Harry was pretty anti-medicine and Dora started therapeutic touch with Dolores Krieger. And Harry's mother would magnetize stones, opals, rubies, um, anything metal. And they would do it with their own energy. George did it with a machine, which is how we do FSM. But they would, not their own personal energy. They And they didn't channel beings that wasn't allowed. Harry had a particular aversion, like creeped him out. Mediums or people, like even Reiki people, uh, it's just not allowed. So um, they would magnetize these items with like Kevin's coin and the girls' coins, mm -hmm. 970 and 33, restoring joy, solar energy. You take the sun's energy and bring it in. Mm. And back when I first started doing FSM, I could have been the mold, but I just found myself totally exhausted. And we had a um, naturopathic student working in the office and he, he could see the blue etheric field around people's bodies. And he'd say, at the end of the day, your forearms up to your shoulders aren't blue, they're brown. The etheric field's just gone. You're getting drained. So one day at the clinic, we had one of the women from the healing group come in that we knew was properly energetically contained. She wasn't a vampire. So... <laughs> I worked, she had low back pain and George is standing at the counter doing measurements on my field and Ryan is standing there watching my arms and I'm working on Ellie's low back and 
I'd, I'd settle into working using FSM, not using my own energy deliberately. And I'd be 15 seconds in, they go, nope, that ain't it. It's like, it took them an hour and a half to teach me what it felt like to work on somebody using the sun's energy, mm -hmm. universal energy, God's energy, whatever you want to call it. You get yourself out of the way. You let that information come through you and you don't use your own energy. And that that's how I've survived 25 years of, of doing this. And that's, that's Leaf's comment is, is totally that. Oh, and I started to tell you yesterday, Indra's net, right? So in the book, I, I didn't know anything about Ender's net. I totally am ignorant of that whole part of the world deliberately. I don't want anybody else's information to tell me what I should perceive. So we were doing um, a Buddhist holiday. Leaf will remember the name of it. It's... It's where Buddha appears in this valley once a year. And it was, it was on that holiday. Harry was doing a meditation at his house and they play Beethoven and we start to meditate and I close my eyes and all of a sudden there's no walls, there's no plants, there's no thing everything disappears and there is this void not even stars really just but there's red lines with little beads on them and that's and so George said that's Indra's net and I said that's string theory but it's you go to that place and there, as my philosophy teacher said in college, there is no thing. If there is no thing, there is no thing to covet. There is no thing to fight over. There is no thing. So yesterday I'm sitting there having pizza and very good margarita and i get this big hug from george and hawthorne street and the rest of the world just disappeared and there's they look like laser beams but they have little dots and the little beads are holograms each one contains everything mm -hmm. without being a thing because there is no thing, there is no thing. There's just energy that manifests itself into physical reality. And that whole concept, I was raised Catholic. Where'd that come from? George. George. <laughs> so somebody else should talk besides me. Your turn, Kim. 
Don't do this to me now. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, you, you think you're going to get away with this? Good luck with that. I really was. I was happy just keep putting myself on mute because my dogs are barking. And I'm like, feel like the kid at the back of the class. Maybe if I don't make eye contact with her, she won't call on me right now. <laughs> Good luck. There's lots of nice comments coming in, but I'm going to keep mine super sweet. I don't have all the stories you guys did. I didn't get to see George as much as you guys did, but at the advanced, George had a way of making you feel like you were the most important thing human on the planet when he would talk to you. So I would lock eyes with him and he had this way of Kim (laughs) and I would just go, George. (laughs) And I get what you mean. His hugs were magic. That's all I can say. I don't know. So when you were telling that story about that hug, that was the exact same feeling that I had. So the last couple podcasts we've had, I've like thrown a quote in. And so I was thinking today about, geez, I hope she doesn't ask me to say anything because I'm going to start like, so I'm going to wrap it up in a, in a quote. It's a Maya Angelou one that I love. It's people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And so for me, that kind of summarizes all my experiences with George. You just felt so smart and special. And I don't know what, like that is, that is a gift, you know, and you have such an amazing way of making everybody in this FSM family feel so connected. So I felt like I knew George better than I did know George through you. And in the last month, last few weeks, especially, there's been people that I've been talking with in the FSM community. And both of these people said, you know, I feel like I know you so well, but we've never actually met. What's up with that? And that is, that is the trickle down effect of what you and George do. And I got it from George. It's like my life will be completely different because my life is completely different because of him. The the metaphysical belief system, they say metaphysics and physics meet on the horizon. And the metaphysical belief system he was reading, I don't know if any of you have ever read theosophical literature It was written in the 1880s through 1910 or 20. And the language, each of the words is English, but the way of putting them together is antique, unique, different. He was reading theosophical literature when he was seven, six. His dad was the theosophist and theosophists brought Eastern thought to the West back before that was fashionable and started a movement that became the Theosophical Society. And that's George's belief system. And when you apply that system with FSM, that's all of you, all 4,000 of you, know George through what has become the FSM seminars. It's not good. 
it's not bad. It just is what it is. How Zen is that, right? Don't judge, just observe. <laughs> that's, that's that. And and energy, if you think of, like it took me 10 or 12 years to get the man to take a supplement <laughs> because he thought he could do it all with frequencies. No, no, you actually need stuff. <laughs> You know, he was a believer, though. He yeah. was. True story. He used to have a shape and stuff that he would make. Oh, yeah. Yep. He'd put his supplements and he'd, he'd make these um, Vitamix shakes with fruit. And he's a vegetarian his whole life. He's had meat three times in his life when he was in his 20s and thought he ought to try it. He said it was all he could do to get away from the table without losing it. And... Um, so he's a vegetarian, type A blood type, could walk forever, could sit forever, and yeah. George used to be in the office probably 30 or more times a week in the morning. He was always there in the morning early. And for those of you that have ever called PDI or FS at 9.01 and we didn't answer, it was because George was having a very kind in-depth conversation usually about gardening or something that he was working on or a project or a client or asking us to how to copy, copy and paste, paste and print something for George um so usually the office truly opened at about 9 15 <laughs> um but he was there and his presence was just it was never oh god the boss is here it was oh good morning George what can I do for you and it was just it radiated goodness and kindness and yeah, a sense of humor. <laughs> Most of the, what Carol had mentioned about, he didn't bring certain topics up to her. Um, he knew it was safe to bring them up to yeah. me. <laughs> we had True lots, story. Of, yeah. lots of uh, conversations and the printouts and the comments. articles. Yeah, and the articles. <laughs> don't show Carol. <laughs> yeah, very much. Don't show Carol this. <laughs> Um, and then I'd find the copies that he'd left them and I'd roll my eyes and it's like, you guys know better than to believe this stuff, right? It's like, okay, fine. But he's, it's like he was so well-intentioned and so mm -hmm. kind about it. It's like, um, that it's, it, it's just adorable. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. And the, the foundation of what we do with FSM started with George. Mm -hmm. It won't end with George because it, it is a corporate culture. If we have a corporate culture, it's like take care of each other. I mean, when you think of what my sister gave up, she's 72 and watching her lift George, given the body pain and the illnesses that she had, watching her help him transfer from the bed to the wheelchair, 
And that level of service went to him because of what he gave. What goes around comes around. You get what you get. Same thing with Adam. When, when Adam was a teenager, he was, oh, George was homicidal. It's like he just, he, he, one of the reasons we split up was because he was so angry with my kids because of the way they treated me because they were teenagers. He was never a teenager like that. And so that's, so he and Adam had this flint and steel, oil and water relationship as teenagers. So here Adam's 38, 30, almost 40. And Adam had the night shift and George was doing what they call in terminal care sundowning. So daytime George and nighttime George were completely different. Most of the falls that George had happened at night because nighttime George wanted to get out of there and didn't know that he couldn't walk. And so Adam would talk about he and he and George would, would sit there and cry together. Now, George was British and a guy, right? George never cried as far as I know, um, one or two times, but he and the temporal lobe injury, temporal lobe has a direct connection to the amygdala. And when you damage the temporal lobe, the filter between you and your emotions get pretty thin. So Adam would say in the morning, he said, yeah, George and I had a good cry last night. I got to tell him that you're more of a dad to me than my own dad was. And, and George would cry and Adam would cry and Adam would say, I'll take care of you. When Betty moved up here, George weighed 115 pounds. His normal weight is 160. He was down to 115 pounds and Betty's major accomplishment was getting him to 136 pounds. Vegetarian soups that are one third whipping cream, right? So the, the care and then Ricky and um, Darcia, the two other folks, just had the same caring nature. Maybe they're that way with everybody, but I suspect maybe it had something to do with George. It also had something to do with, we got them through Wendy and Wendy got people that were appropriate for George. Is that how that worked? Yeah, so. What do you think? Mm. You have comments? You say you have comments and questions. Um, you read the one from dad that I, I got copied on pretty much all of the ones that you had already said. There's a couple um, little comments here from Leaf. It looks like he had a conversation with himself here. I don't understand. What they are. <laughs> I do this all the time. Um, solar energy, Visak, Visak. And then he wrote, um, yes, born. It's Wessex. It's Wessex. Okay. It's the Wessex, Wessex Festival. Thank you, Leaf. Okay. Yeah, you spell it differently, but yeah, 
it, that's the way it's pronounced is Wessick. What? Oh, okay. The festival that you guys were at. Got it. Okay. Oh, Annie. Oh my gosh. Annie was one of the first people I treated with atrial fib. Sorry for your loss. Glad to see you so well surrounded. That's the truth. Thank you for sharing these precious stories. Grateful for your Dr. Douglas work. We've all been so fortunate to cross paths. Yeah, he's off to his next life of helping others. I think he's really elf. I think he's really hoping that he got rid of all the karma this mm. life and he's gonna get to not come back. I'm not sure that's the way it works, but mm. Derek, aloha from Hawaii. Hello. Oh, Jay. oh, JJ, this is so beautiful. Thank you for sharing these. Oh, there's so many more. Mm. Didn't know George, but your stories today touch me to tears and send you all my love. I said, Oh, Maddie. Yeah, he could never come to he actually came to Australia when we delivered, we had to deliver 50 blue boxes was all we had to take that first. We had eight blue boxes finished that had been modified. So when I taught that first class in Australia, Maddie, in 2001, September 19th of 2001, Doxy Cook and I were on the first flight allowed out of the US to Australia after 9-11. And so we did the first course 2000, I think September 19th. And we had eight machines for, I'd never done a class for more than 10 or 20 people. We had 50 people, thanks to Mike Curley, at that first class. I don't know if any of you know Australians, but herding cats doesn't begin to <laughs> It's So we had eight machines, and Aussies around the room with these eight machines treating each other, doing practicums eight tables, 50 people. And it was Doxy and me. I didn't have trained instructors <laughs> in Australia. It was total chaos. Then the following year, 2000, he and I had split up at that, at that point, January of 2002, we had converted 50 machines to meet, um, TGA requirements. They wanted us to put a little resistor in and one piece of it. So we made those modifications and we sold 50 machines to those 50 people because the course included the blue box. And in 2002, we were still like not together. And he handed me the book, Messages from Water. And um, Matsuko, anyway, Japanese guy, takes these vials of water and puts a word on the outside of the water and then takes the water into a freezer chamber and puts a drop of water on the slide and observes the crystal that's formed. And about 
80% Emoto. Thank you, <laughs> Emoto. Um, and about 80%, it's not 100%, but about 80% of the crystals that are formed from each of these words is almost identical. And the most beautiful one, it's like a sunburst, is the one for love and gratitude. And it's like, George was, would never tell you what to do. He'd present the information. And if you wanted to incorporate it, make use of it, totally up to you. The most, un, he's the only male human in my life who hasn't tried to control me. Good luck with that, right? <laughs> Which is how we stayed together for 31 years. So he just hands me this book. And I think he inscribed something in it. And love and gratitude. Huh. What if you approached everything you did in life with just, just love and gratitude? And if you think of the fact that those words written in English, French, German and Japanese all produced the same crystal, right? So your body is 85% water. What if you approach everything in your life with love and gratitude? So George would say, thank you for everything. And he expressed love by doing stuff taking out the recycling, bringing peaches, right? Yeah. <laughs> the back row starts tearing up and I can't look at Danielle. <laughs> I was, as she's speaking, I was thinking of a conversation that George and I had about eight months ago where he had talked about, you know, if I, um, if I do pass on, he goes, I know it's notable, but I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it because I was, I'm okay being Carol's conduit. And he goes, I, I, I feel like I've done a good job and the way the world's turning out, I'm okay to, to, to step aside. <laughs> <laughs> but he just was very content with servitude and he did it with honor. Yeah. Yeah. They need to make a couple more. <laughs> Even if he doesn't want to come back, I would welcome. <laughs> yeah. No, it's and the FSM family. So this is this is our family here. And we that's this is FSM and PDI. I get to be mom. <laughs> And, and no, what are you sorry about? <laughs> How do you be sorry for doing that? Yeah, I'm, she didn't really want to do this whole video thing <laughs> and she did it anyway, because it's George, yeah. right? So um, if there is a promise to be made is that will we were built on that foundation 
of resonance and love and gratitude and service and the awareness that energy and physical reality and the connection to universe. Um, oh, hi, baby. Um, that's all real stuff. And using frequencies to smooth out the wrinkles in the nervous system and pain and remove the interference. So George is the one that taught us you remove the interference between your physical reality and the emotional, no, the energetic, your physical manifestation and the energe energetic reality that is your real self, right? Your soul, this is the other thing, there are no victims. Your soul manifests whatever adversity comes into your life, either to make up for karma that you created in a past life. So what goes around comes around. So when it's inconvenient or treacherous or, you know, mean people being mean to you, it's like, well, it's payback for something I did. So it's either for, it's either karma or it's to bring you a lesson that you have another way to learn. And the energy of it, and if your response to that is love and gratitude and neutrality, not being attached to this, then that's what FSM was for, was to get rid of the interference, whether it's emotional or 40 and 89, the amygdala that got jacked, hijacked when you were five, or your nerve pain or your muscle pain or whatever interferes, or Danielle's sunburn, right? Whatever interferes with your connection to yourself, you are not your body and personality. So that's why it was really easy for George, for me to sit there eating a vegetarian pizza and have George give me a, a just this lovely hug. He just took off his coat. He took off a body that wasn't working anymore. George is fine. George is fine. He just doesn't have a body right now. Does that make sense to anybody but us? <laughs> yeah. So if you download a new operating system, which is life in this physical reality without George. And I, I try not to contact him too often because he's got work to do over, the, over there. And it's a little bit selfish to say, hey, I need a hug right now. He always shows up, right? So there. Paula Lake, Pat Lawless. Mm -hmm. Oh, she's the one that said Emoto, right? <laughs> Donna. Yeah, there you go. 
He's enjoying the hugs too. Thank you, Annie. <laughs> Annie has the uh, a good good fortune to be able to see stuff like that. So, yeah. Mm. This was well, a special time. Lots of love. Lots of special comments. Um, keep them coming. Keep keep sending all the memories and the comments to us because it doesn't end just with this one special podcast, right? It's we need to keep seeing them. So, Erickson, thank you for this special time. I'm honored to have known George. He always made me feel special that he remembered me and was happy to see me and my dad uh, at seminars. May his stories and memories be a source of net soothing for your hearts. Oh, Pat Wallace just sent a big hug. One of the, so in 2011, we had a bit of a kerfluffle where people were saying that I owned Precision Microcurrent, Precision Distributing. It's like, yeah, I, no, I don't. Yeah, you do. Everybody knows you do. And it's like, now, George was as much of an introvert as someone could could be without, you know, ever coming out of their bedroom. That he was that much of an introvert. One-on-one, -on -one he was, as everybody's described him. So after that many years together, I'd learned that the way you get George to do what you want him to do is you give him time to think about it, especially if it's something he doesn't want to do. So October of, I guess, 2012, because all, everything came apart in February of 2012. So October of 2012, I said on the phone to him that night, we have a PR problem. What? People are saying that I'm the president of Precision Distributing. Well, you're not. It's like, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's not like it's real. It's a PR problem. So this is what I need you to do in February. Now, George wore the same pair of Dickies. He had two pairs of tan Dickies. One was full of paint. The other one had some holes in it. So we bought a third pair that was gray for special occasions like going to the doctor. But that was Dickies and then chamois shirts and, and a vest because he was always cold. And then as he got thinner, he would wear a cashmere sweater under the chamois shirt because the cashmere was like, you wouldn't wear that outside though too. And then the the cashmere yeah. sweaters that have had holes in them. <laughs> and then anyway, so in October, I said, this February, February of 2013, I need you to be the president of Precision Distributing. And you could always tell when George was terrified or furious because it was like he just disappeared. The phone had this dead space there, complete silence. It's like, I need you to wear a suit and a tie in February to the advanced and symposium in 13. And I need you to wear a name badge that says, George's number one 
desire in life was to be invisible, which is why this memorial couldn't, it's like, that would never happen. So anyway, and you need a name tag that says George Douglas Precision Distributing. Dead air on the other end of the phone. We will go in December between Christmas and New Year's. We'll buy uh, two suits because it's a seven day event. Shirts, ties, socks, shoes. You only have to wear it that one time of the year. And we'll do it all in one night. We'll go into the store at seven o'clock. We'll be out by nine o'clock. And, and then the next strategy was to just give him time to think about it. He said, I'll think about it. Okay. So I knew he'd say yes, <laughs> because I presented it not like you have to do this. It was like, we have a PR problem. Okay. So we did exactly that. We went shopping and he came and he wore a suit. The, and he did that every symposium until his heart issues were such, I wouldn't take him through an air. 13, 14, I think and 15 was the last one. Getting him through the airport was really difficult that year. And then there was that time, I think we were in San Antonio where, or someplace where I said, you need to tell the story of you and Harry. They need, so someplace we have that on film. That's the picture that Kevin posted was George with his FSM polo shirt. And his, that wool sweater is still in his drawer. He wore that beige wool sweater in 1991 when I met him. He still had that in 2007, eight, nine, whenever he took that picture. And so he's just, you could just see him just break into a sweat. And then he got out of the way and he just called on the energetic influences and Harry to help him out. And he sat there with a microphone on a stool, I said, just tell the story. And that's, that's the only time. And then I had to promise never to do that <laughs> to him again, <laughs> because it was just torture. It was adorable. Yeah. Where's <laughs> this? He was so kind and asked me a healing question once, and I still hold it dear. It still hold his his response dear. Yeah, he's just oh. Now I really understand why I was supposed supposed to learn from you. I'm not sure how, but I've had the sense that I'm supposed to somehow work with you, which seems really impractical given where I live, and then I'm still in seclusion, but now I realize why I've been getting this message so strongly for several months, and I'm just going to let all this information soak in and see what comes of it. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, it's the one of the things I say is like, people don't find us by mistake. 
<clears throat> I mean, thanks to Kevin and the book, more people have found us in the last six years than it's just sort of been exponential. I just put up a higher antenna, that's all. It just what? I just put up a higher antenna, that's all. Yeah, I just put <laughs> a higher antenna up. Increase the signal. Didn't do anything besides that. <laughs> so if people don't find us by mistake. And I don't push it when they're ready. It's So it's like I've absorbed so much of George in the last 30 years. Right? It's like, this is it. You, If it suits you, you get it. And if it doesn't suit you, you won't. And that's fine. Yep, it'll, it'll, be, it'll be fine. So that's it. How do we get out of this, Kim? It's 5.30. <clears throat> we just said we would we would go until it's done and and it looks like it's it's done. I mean, it's never going to be done, but I think we've wrapped for today and we will continue to have uh, as many stories as as they come along whenever we need them. Uh, I, this this feels pretty complete. Anybody yeah. anything I missed? There's so many. Yeah. There's so much. <laughs> Like I said, if people have more stories or comments, just keep them coming. We'll keep we'll keep bringing them up. And uh, this isn't. Yeah. And I think we might, you know, put a. Is it possible to put a thing? Is he Kevin <laughs> gets pale when I do this? It's like maybe we could put a section on the website for George stories, just a little tab that you can click on and fill in stuff. Yeah, that's easy. That's see <laughs> for Kevin. That's easy. So we'll have a George story where you can post your a little George wall. Your yeah, the George Emory wall. Yeah, that would drive him absolutely crazy. Which <laughs> then is we, then we have to do it. I yeah. was gonna say okay. <laughs> yeah, just that's that's uh, that's the gift in all this is it's like now now I get to try and clean out his garage, his boxes that he had. He always had, like, if he was going to spend an evening or an afternoon, he'd spend it working on Danielle or Wendy or Kevin or me. And why would he spend that time picking a box in the garage and going through that and deciding to what to pitch or keep? So that's mm -hmm. that's what I get to do over the next year. It's <laughs> going to take a year. I like how you phrase that. That's what I get to do, not... That's not what I have to do. So very good forward, positive thinking on your part. <laughs> well, it's like I've been well-trained after 30 years. It's like right. you choose it or you don't. Yeah. And it's like, it's it's kind of like, Chris, what on earth is in that box? Like there isn't, there's a, there's a, a cabinet. I was out there with a contractor today. There's a cabinet in this front bedroom that we had completely cleaned out for his hospital bed when he broke his hip. We moved front bedroom, had wall to wall, right? Just this one little drawer thing. And there's a hospital bed. It is now full of mail on the floor in stacks that he hasn't sorted through. But there's a cabinet in there. And when you pull it out, there are bottles of homeopathic remedies with little India ink tiny print not printed but handwritten on the 
bottles from a homeopathic pharmacy. God knows where he got it. And I need to find a homeopathic pharmacy that wants this item of history. So cool. Yeah. So I get to go through yes. these boxes and it's, yeah. It's like a treasure hunt. It is. <laughs> it is. And it's, yeah. Surprise in every box. Yeah. Yeah. No, the gift. Yeah. The gift that George was keeps on giving. giving. It's like, there's, I don't know. Is there anybody in this room who's that it's the same as they were before they hung out with George Douglas for any period of time? It's impossible. I don't think so. I don't think anybody could have encountered George and walked away less. Yeah. He exactly. always left things better than when he saw them, received them, interacted, touched them. He always made things better. Yeah. Simply by just loving him. I mean, loving it, it's that love and gratitude. Yeah. You know? And that was. Yeah, you couldn't, you couldn't hang with, well, a few people managed to hang with George <laughs> and they're no longer with us for which we're truly grateful. Um, and that's the, the commitment that PDI has to quality and integrity and service. That's, I mean, that came from George. That, that's gonna stay with us so okay and that's our call to action this week right just love and gratitude and if that's all you do in one day then that's a heck of a day but i'd say that's a, a good way to call that's why we have that board in the clinic what do you love what 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 are you grateful for what makes you feel gratitude right maybe we have another column what would george do yeah. What is that? WWJD. Yeah. What would, what would George do? Yeah. WWGD. George Douglas. Yeah. There you go. We need, we need to get team bracelets. Let's say that. Yeah. Yeah. Team George. Get on that, Wendy. There you go. Oh, if we had team bracelets and they were made of metal, you could put them next to the magnetic converter and just run 970 and 33 for a period of time. That would work. Mm -hmm. And that's what George would do. That's, that's what George would do. There you go. I guess that's it for today. Thanks for what a day. Yeah. Thanks for setting this up. It what was life to celebrate. Yeah, yeah, it is. This is the, this is the George Douglas wake, you know, where you, gather around and um and tell stories um i don't think there's a story we missed right the recycling stories were the best uh, and then yeah there's yeah it's the george it, there was this is as close as we will ever come to to doing a wake for him this is but, perfect yeah and just just so you know um out at his place in battleground he has um it's almost like he never moved in like he never put the 
the paintings that he owned, they're on the floor. He's never hung them on the wall and he's lived there for 11 years, <laughs> right? And um, his favorite flower that he planted at my place was um, uh, is peonies, peonies. So we'll pick up his ashes, I think, on Thursday. He has to be cremated. Betty is going to go pick those up. And um, then next, so I'm, we're in Denver this weekend for a practicum. And um, then the following weekend is the 28th and 29th. So we'll just, with his daughter and, and this home team and Betty and... So we'll go out to his place and put a bit of his ashes under, there's a space for two peony bushes. And I found like the perfect, they're already actually starting to have buds on them. So we'll put a bit of George under the peonies at his house. Um, and then um, the team up at Orcas Island at Camp Enderlea, it's a theosophical summer camp. We're working on getting uh, permission to um, put the rest of his ashes there, or um, that's the only place I can think of. Or if that doesn't work out, we'll 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 find a place to put him out at his at his place in um, uh, out on the five. He's on five acres in the quietest spot we could find for him. So that's where his physical remains will be, but that isn't where George is. It's, yeah, George is alive and well on the other side. Yay. Okay. Okay. I don't want, it's, it's, it's the same thing every week, but it's like, I don't want to go, but it's, it, we got to go now. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fine. It's like, have a, have a good night. Be kind to each other. Yes. Take out the recycling. <laughs> Take empty, empty the trash. Do something kind for someone. Yeah. Today. I guess be kind to yourself as well. But George was kinder to other people, in part because he was kind to himself. He wouldn't he wouldn't do something just because it was what everybody else was doing. If anything, right. it was just the opposite. opposite. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So be kind to yourself by doing what is true to your nature. That's, and then be kind to each other and be of service in whatever way you can, whether it's treating patients or doing the dishes or whatever. Yeah, on that note. <laughs> Bye. Bye. See you next week. Bye, Big yeah. hug to everybody. Thanks to everybody for being here. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Take care. See you next week. See you next week. The Frequency Specific Microcurrent Podcast has been produced by Frequency Specific Seminars for entertainment, educational, and information purposes only. The information and opinion provided in the podcast are not medical advice, do not create any type of doctor-patient relationship, and 
unless expressly stated, do not reflect the opinions of its affiliates, subsidiaries, or sponsors, or the hosts, or any of the podcast guests or affiliated professional organizations. No person should act or refrain from acting on the basis of the content provided in any podcast without first seeking appropriate medical advice and counseling. No information provided in any podcast should be used as a substitute for personalized medical advice and counseling. FSS expressly disclaims any and all liability relating to any actions taken or not taken based on or any contents of this podcast.